0: Welcome back to Coaches Exploring Clarity, and today we'll be exploring chapter 20, the leadership delusion. Although today's episode is going to be a little bit of a departure from what you're used to, the reason is that I messed up. So I had a a lovely conversation with my partners, Elaine and Lynn, and we had a great guest, uh, Jan Hart, and we had an amazing conversation, so excited to share it with you, and at the end of the zoom call when I hit end call and my little window didn't pop up saying rendering video I you know all of a sudden my stomach dropped and I was like oh my God I forgot to hit record so that lovely conversation between the four of us is something that only the four of us will ever have experienced and instead you're going to get stuck with just me for this week as we explore chapter 20 the leadership delusion so It'll likely be a a slightly abbreviated version because it'll just be uh, me referencing the chapter and talking about what shows up for me and so on. I will probably add bits and pieces here and there from what I can recall from the conversation with Elaine, Lynn, and Jan. Um, So bear with me. If if Lynn and and Elaine and our guests are are the reasons you watch these episodes and not me, then uh, you may want to just wait till next week Otherwise, you can hang in there and uh, let's see how this turns out. Um, And before I begin, I do want to, uh, again, apologize to Lynn and Elaine, but in particular to Jan, who took time out of her schedule to join us as a guest uh, only to end up not having her episode recorded. So Jan, my sincere apologies. All right. Chapter 20, The Leadership Delusion starts off with a quote from Ralph Nader, attorney, consumer advocate, and political activist leaders don't create followers they create more leaders you know this chapter uh, i was really interested to get into this one because for the last i don't know 20 something years 25 years leadership has been kind of at the core of my being or the core of who i thought i was um, and what i was focused on particularly through my corporate career Um, and my leadership bible had been the seven habits seven habits of highly effective people by stephen covey um in this quote about not creating followers, you know as, as a leader for all those years, I don't think I ever once thought of the people that I was leading as followers um I definitely thought of them as peers as equals and uh and I was leading and guiding them along but uh, uh and and nothing was more satisfying than uh, having somebody that worked for me or under me in the corporate structure get promoted to the same level as me or beyond uh, whether it was in the same company or not I remember one gentleman in particular who left and has now been a vice president somewhere for a number of years um far exceeding what I ever accomplished in my career at least from a, a corporate structure perspective so um I like to think that my leadership had something to do with uh, catapulting him in that direction or pointing in that way. Um, The first thing that I really highlighted was um, how Jamie identifies uh, what most people consider to be leadership qualities, and he points them out more as symptoms. Um, And the list includes things like vision, passion, goals, contribution, flexibility, listening, being decisive, stillness, action, and team building. Um, Eddie points out that, uh, you know, most people think of these elements as uh, leadership itself, but really they're symptoms or effects of leadership and more the cause Is the source of leadership and in the distinction box he writes causes the source of leadership is the cause that gives rise to the symptoms as you start to catch the leadership bug you'll find the symptoms of authentic leadership start emerging effortlessly and authentically and then he goes on to share good news bad news and great news which i'll share with you here so the good news is you've already got it everyone has the cause of leadership within them the bad news, for most people, it's covered over, shrouded in layers of contaminated thinking. And the great news is, as you increase your clarity of understanding, you awaken your innate capacity for leadership. You know, when I read this, I, I kind of thought, it was a little embarrassed of a few times in my career where I had people working uh, on my teams or a few levels down, who were aspiring to be, become leaders or managers or senior analyst or whatever it was and not only myself but the, you know the higher ups in the business had a paradigm or a view of that person that they just weren't leadership material um, and when i read this that you know we've all got the cause of leadership within us and i know that to be true now um it made me just stop and reflect and, and think about you know how i had fallen into the trap of my own contaminated thinking and my own limitations that i put on to other people and um, when i thought about it it was more less about those individuals and more about um, how it would reflect on me if i you know tried to put somebody forward to my boss or, or uh, the senior management team that they didn't perceive to be a certain way that it would reflect badly on me and all this kind of <clears throat> contaminated thinking anyway it was was quite interesting Uh, the next part that really struck my eye was the highway mirage metaphor and it concludes uh, by jb writing and like a mirage contaminated thinking is just an illusion so you don't need to take any evasive action when you notice it understanding its nature is enough and i think i would heard that or something similar that many many times but when i read this highway mirage metaphor in that particular line I realized still how much not not so much that I'm getting caught up in my contaminated thinking although I guess this is a uh, an element of it but that when I realize I'm in contaminated thinking I'm still trying to do something about it uh, uh, many of the times versus just recognizing it for what it is which is a mirage and an illusion and not having to take evasive action not having to do anything about it at all and just when i that hit me it was like a whole weight kind of fell off um yeah so I'm, i'm just taking that away from from this chapter for sure then we'll move to pages 214 and 215 where jamie has this circle Diagram, um, which are the principles uh, that drive leadership attributes, and then this uh, this table, which describes on the left hand side the attributes of contaminated thinking, and on the right hand side the attributes of clarity. And um, you know, some of that stood out. You know, on on the attributes of contaminated thinking, false, fake, defended, closed versus the attributes of clarity authentic real transparent open and unique and how these days i'm i'm endeavoring to live solely out of that right hand side the authenticity real transparent open and unique Um, you know no better example than starting this video admitting that i'd screwed up the recording and uh, that's just real life you know things happen um it's funny because when i when i read down this list i'm reminded on the left hand side of quite a few people in leadership positions that i'd come across that that were often demonstrating these attributes um on the left hand side you know serious insecure boring um change averse inflexible and rigid flat dull repetitive unmotivated passive fearful anxious and worried i mean that one is a big one that i'd seen in the grocery business where you know you're typically only as good as yesterday's sales numbers so there's always the shroud of fear and anxiety and worry that if uh, if you don't get your numbers you're screwed yet you can't work in a productive fashion out of fear and anxiety and worry and and you know the attributes of clarity fearless curious and experimental like those are the attributes that you want to demonstrate and be and will be successful working from that space um let's see Then there's a story on page 216 and 217 about a compliant workforce. And it's a little bit of a history lesson about where this whole notion of um, what we know of today as as what work looks like. And it was really a transition during the industrial revolution from working in the fields and farming and so on uh, towards working in factories and offices and so on. And it was a big adjustment for that first generation of workers. And what ended up happening was that uh, in church and in schools and basically in a systematic way, they taught that second and third generation and onwards of of workers what was acceptable, what was right, what was expected. And the nine to five, 40 hour work week more or less was born and has kind of been the model uh, ever since. Um, And interestingly enough, uh, ever since up until the pandemic, I'd say, and um, all of a sudden, remote work was a necessity. Companies had to send people to work from home. We had the technology to um, make it just as productive. And now that the pandemic's over, companies are struggling to get people back into the office. And it's not because people are lazy or don't want to go but when you realize i don't have to spend an hour each way or an hour and a half each way um like i used to i used to do a combination of driving train bus walking an hour and a half each way to get to my office so that's three hours a day of basically wasted time now i would listen to things on on my phone or whatever so it wasn't completely a waste but you know compared to what i could have been doing at home um it was a waste and there's wear and tear and expenses and so on um so it's going to be interesting to see how this all shakes out uh, over the next you know six months a year 18 months as companies decide whether to force people back or if they figure out a way and there's some companies i'm sure will see it as a competitive advantage to attracting the best talent by offering the most flexible work environment possible and particularly, I think, uh, one of the things Jan brought up was this younger generation of people. Um, you know, th- they don't have drilled into them this compliant workforce kind of thing. They're seeing the world in a new and different way. Um, they've grown up their entire lives being connected, uh, having this some knowledge of all human history at the palm of their hands. And... They have different expectations and different ideas about uh, how things should be. And I think, uh, you know, going hand in hand with that new expectation is a newfound confidence and freedom to express themselves. Um, you know, the, the days of speak when spoken to and all this disciplinary kind of notions, respecting authority, etc. That's all kind of melting away and... Um, yeah, I can't wait to see, particularly as, as my kids grow up, how things are so much different than they were when I, when I got out of school and started working. And then at the bottom of the 217 is this thought experiment, um, which I, I found to be very eye-opening, particularly in the context of as I've tried to, to get some engagements with corporations and, and uh, individuals in businesses and i know talking with other coaches they've had similar experiences where it's just not in the budget or trying to justify really the economics and the the roi or return on investment of something like coaching um so that you know i'll, I'll read this and chat about with that a little bit thought experiment stop for a moment and have a guess at how much of your working life has been spent lost in contaminated thinking now have a guess at how much of your colleagues working lives has been spent lost in it. Now have a guess at the number of unnecessary conflicts, missed deadlines, and botched jobs have come from all the contaminated thinking. Now have a guess at all the sick days and stress-induced illnesses that have resulted from it. Now multiply it by all the businesses in the country and in the world. To an individual, to a business, to the entire company economy, the cost of contaminated thinking is astronomical not just in terms of lost productivity and unnecessary problems, but in terms of squandered energy, unused creativity, and missed opportunities. And I know in my own work experience, everything that I just read there is 100% true. The, The cost of contaminated thinking across teams and businesses is astronomical. You know, we used to have a... At the first company i worked for called cargo foods they had this thing called the four absolutes of quality and the way you measure quality was something called the price of Nonconformance. how much is it costing us to do it wrong and the notion was if you could quantify how much is it costing the business to do it wrong then you could propose a solution whether it's hiring more people buying a machine upgrading computers i don't know whatever it was If the cost of whatever that solution was, was less than the cost of doing it wrong, then it was a no-brainer to invest that money. So it's, uh, you know, in my estimation, uh, of course, speaking to you as a coach, uh, it's a little self-serving, I suppose, to say this, but, you know, whatever investment can be made by individuals or groups or teams or businesses into coaching, into building teams that work in a connected, collaborative, way um I believe the ROI in eliminating contaminated thinking and the cost of not doing things properly would more than pay for itself um on page 219 Jamie has uh, a diagram of a bell curve which is uh, you know one of my pet peeves in the world is the idea of bell curves <coughs> as somebody who managed And led teams for numbers of years. You know, My goal was always for our team to be the best team in the business. The team that every other team would look at and say, "Uh, I want my team. I wish I was on that team. I I want my team to be like that team. And as a consequence, um, more often than not, we had really good teams. And then when it came time to do annual performance reviews, uh, the dreaded bell curve would show up. And it would basically say no you have to have x number of people that are weak performers or poor 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 performers x number of people that are average performers (coughs) and there's only room for one or two exceptional performers and i would make the argument yeah but if by all measures more people are skewed to being excellent performers then don't they deserve that recognition and not just how do we fit people onto a bell curve anyway as you can imagine that made made for some very heated discussions uh, throughout my career um and the next thing i highlighted was the statement on 217 below that bell curve graph that says the biggest leverage point for learning any soft skill is your embodied understanding of the principles behind clarity and it's just a, a reminder that when you're in clarity, when you're in the moment, when you're open, when you're not caught up in contaminated thinking, just imagine like any, anything that you're studying or learning or attending a course or listening to somebody speak, if you're there, if you're really present to it, you can't help but take more from it and learn in a more effective way than if you weren't thinking about it. I know when, when we do my, all of these online coaching courses, um, the lady that that kind of does the admin or runs the behind the scenes thing and does an exceptional job, Claesia, she reminds us at the beginning turn off all your distractions, close down Facebook, turn your phone off. Um, you know, this time is for us, for our education and our learning. And you can manage those distractions. You can do it on a course, you can do it at home, you can do it at work. It just takes a little bit of. Uh, discipline and forethought, and you can do it. Um, Let's see. The next thing I wanted to talk about was on 221, the secret of successful selling. And what I highlighted here is uh, the second line or third line down says, and what's the biggest factor influencing the client's experience? The experience the salesperson is having. And this really rang true to me and, and reminded me of so many factors or times in my career. Um, I spent many years in category management in the grocery business where I was the decision maker on whether it was to buy products or decide what items we were going to list in a category or in a department. So I'd have be meeting with sales people every day, hours a day, coming in with their samples and trying to sell me on their, their product, why I should carry it and so on and it's so true if if the salesperson came in and they were in a good feeling they were confident about what they were selling often i would feel the same way i basically took my cues from them and conversely when they came in and they were miserable or unprepared um it it didn't go well (laughs) um and really uh, and now that i'm a coach and i'm often on the the salesperson side of the desk trying to to enroll clients or businesses into buying programs or coaching i'm reminded that you know the, the biggest factor influencing their experience is the experience i'm having during that so if i'm all weird about the price or the offer then they're going to feel weird that it's going to come across um, you know in 2000 and, eight to ten I spent a stint as a real estate agent and I remember our broker when we did the training with the broker he had a phrase that I, I really loved which was um if you're desperate and you the the client can smell your commission breath so if you're just there if you're just in this real estate game to make a commission they will smell your commission breath and they'll want nothing to do with you but if you're authentic and genuine and really um there to serve them to help them with the biggest investment of their lives and make it go smoothly and get them the house they want get their house sold and so on Then, that's the feeling they're going to have and uh in this line about it it being the experience a salesperson having it just rings so true to me and just a couple more things before we get to the, the thought experiment to close out I've highlighted on 222 um, the statement when you've got nothing on your mind you're free to give your best and you know this is something i communicate to uh, my clients and the athletes that i work with on that side of my business um because when you're when you're playing sports and you're in that moment you want to have nothing on your mind you want to be 100 present and that's when your best shines. That's when all your training, all your innate talents and skills come through. And, you know, you can, at least when I watch sports now on television, and you can almost see the pressure that people put on themselves, the thinking that they're having. So, you know, uh, um, the golfer who stands on the 18th tee with a one stroke lead and shanks his drive into the into the pond or into the woods what what caused that it wasn't he can't swing the golf club I mean clearly he can for four days 71 holes he'd been swinging at a well but in that moment he started getting caught up in his thinking I'm about to win this tournament it's about to change my life etc etc I can only imagine the types of thoughts that might be going through his head and, you know, the, the converse of this is when, when you've got lots on your mind, you're not free to give your best. And that's when you shank it into the woods. And it kind of ties back to that mirage clip. It's, it's not that you're not going to have those thoughts, but it's to recognize them for what they are and not do anything about it. Just let them go. Let them pass on by. And the last thing I've highlighted here is the true source of leadership resides in clarity, giving you what you need in the moment to deal with the matter at hand. And uh, I'm just remembering what one of the things I talked about with uh, Jan and Lynn and Elaine was the definition of leadership that I uh, adopted and love from Stephen Covey, which was leadership is communicating to people so clearly their worth and potential that they come to see it in themselves. And as I've studied coaching with jamie smart and worked with all this the peers in his community and and so on i've kind of rewritten that definition to be uh, leadership is communicating so clearly to people who they really are that they come to see it for themselves and when people know who they really are it's uh it's a game changer so we'll end now with the thought experiment and uh says this is on page 223 what's it like for you to start recognizing that you have the source of the greatest leadership capacities already right there within you well it's great i mean when when you know that you don't have to do anything or get anything or or read a million leadership books that you have that innate source of leadership already there within you, just waiting to be tapped into, waiting to be released. Um, And all it takes is clarity of understanding. It's just just very, for me anyway, very freeing, uh, very hopeful. Um, And for me personally, but then also very hopeful and freeing for everyone I come in contact with, whether it's a colleague or a friend Um, or a client knowing that my clients have that same innate capacity for leadership within them um that when i'm working with them i don't have to give them leadership i don't teach them about leadership i just have to help them get out of their own way basically because it's already there anyway that's it for chapter 20 uh the leadership delusion I know this was not a normal episode, and I uh, um, thank you for bearing with me and listening to me do this all on my own. And I promise you that uh, next week, we'll have another special guest where we will be exploring chapter 21, living a life you love. And I definitely will make sure to record that one and share that with you. So until next time, we'll see you then.